Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes podcast. My name is Matthew. My name is Matteo. And together we are diving deep into the history of Rome from its founding to its death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way and ranking them. And in this episode, number eight, we are going to focus on Marcus Atilius Regulus. Yup. What? Mm-hmm. Matteo, I know you weren't expecting this. The, I was not. The listeners were not expecting this because we told them that we are going to be covering a different candidate for hero in episode eight. But I realized that I got the timeline off, and so we needed to move up Regulus. It is my fault. Kind of happy, though, because he's one of my favorites. I know he's one of your favorites. I know yeah. you've been looking forward to this guy for a while. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited to jump into Regulus, and we have a lot to talk about because with Regulus comes an extremely important chunk of history in the story of the Roman Republic. Yeah, the most, yeah, probably the most important in the Roman Republic other than Caesar. The Punic Wars. The Punic Wars. Oh, yeah. Perhaps some of the most important series of, of battles, one of the most important confrontations, can we say, in the history of humankind? Probably in the history of Europe, yeah. Or in the history of Western societies. Most definitely. I'd say so. So, I'm excited. So let's... By the way, we're going to be covering the Punic Wars in the next few episodes. At the very least, the next three episodes, maybe four. So we're going to have to give you a little context on what these wars were about. But before we do, as we typically do at this point in the podcast... Let's orient ourselves on the globe, on the map, and also in time. So I'll do the map part first. In the map, we're still in the city of Rome, exactly where we ended the last episode, Matteo, but now the year is 300 BC. That's when we think Regulus was born. Now that was about 30 years before our hero from last episode, Corvus, died. Corvus was around 70 years old at the time of the birth of Regulus. Right, because he lived until 100. He lived to be 100 years old. And now let's place ourselves in the context of world history. Mateo, take it away. <laughs> well, in India, the Maura Empire was under the rule of uh, Chandragupta Maurya, and he was expanding and consolidating his power across the entire peninsula. Uh, the Hellenistic period was rampant in um, Greece, the legacy of Alexander the Great, who died in uh, 323 BC, continued to shape the Hellenistic world. And like we saw the rise of the Seleucid Empire and all the, uh, not the pretender states, sorry, the... The Ptolemaic? The, the legacy states, the from, yeah, the Alexander legacy uh, states, like, yeah, the Ptolemaics in Egypt and um, the Parthian, Hellenistic Parthians, Bactria, uh, a few other... Well, anyways, yeah, Hellenism spread across Africa and Asia. Greek philosophy, um, Aristotle and Democritus were well established around this time. In ancient China, the Warring States period continued. That's a lot of warring and yeah. a lot of states in oh, yeah. ancient China. Uh, yeah, one of my favorite periods in history. I'm completely ignorant about that period of history. So maybe, cool. But 
I like it more in Japan, but yeah. Well, maybe we should flag that for a future podcast. We've we got good feedback, by the way, on the works of ancient engineering podcast yeah. idea. So I think that's that needs to be our next project. But maybe after that, we could go east. Yeah, we'll see what's up. Cause I think definitely doing some Japanese, Chinese, Korean history would be awesome. Like Mongols. I agree with you. That'd be cool. When ancient China, the Warring States period was going on, we saw the development of uh, different philosophical schools, including Confucianism and Taoism. Uh, in Mesoamerica, the Olmec civilization was waning, and other cultures like the Zapotecs and the Mayas were emerging. Uh, the Library of Alexandria in Egypt was established during this time, and obviously it became the most important center of sco scholar and learning probably ever in history. So this was, in other words, this was a momentous time in world history, not just in European or history or, or the history of Rome. But our focus is the history of Rome, so let's jump into Regulus. But before we talk about Regulus, Matteo, let's talk a little bit about the First Punic War. But before we talk about the First Punic War, let's understand who the adversary was. The Punici, as they were called by the Romans, because that was the Roman word for Phoenician. And at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, the Carthaginians were Phoenician. Oh, yeah. So our listeners might remember that in our episode, our very first episode on Aeneas, we talked about Aeneas's journey from Troy after its fall, yep. making his way west along the Mediterranean. Yep. He popped into Sicily, and then he popped stopped Carthage. in Carthage, which was a new state which was ruled by a queen named... Ditto. Ditto. Yeah. Or Dido. Yeah, or Dido. Probably Dido. I don't know. I don't know either. Let's go with Ditto. All right. So this is how Virgil described Carthage through the eyes of Aeneas when he arrived in Carthage. Aeneas found where lately huts had been marvelous buildings, gateways, cobbled ways, and the din of wagons. There, the Tyrians were hard at work, laying courses for walls, rolling up stones to build the citadel, while others picked out building sites and plowed a boundary furrow. Laws were being enacted, magistrates in a sacred senate chosen. Here, men were dredging harbors. There, they laid the deep foundations of a theater and quarried massive pillars. So, Carthage was becoming a major city, a civilized place in the center of the Mediterranean. And this was about 400 years, Matteo, before Rome was founded by Romulus. Yeah, so they were around for a super, super long time. They were around for a long time. Even though the archaeological evidence suggests that Carthage was founded around the same time as Rome, the Romans told a different story. The Romans said it was around for a long time and that it was a sophisticated and civilized place. So, one little note on that quote, which is, Virgil called them the Tyrians. And the Tyrians, that word comes from the city of Tyre in the eastern Mediterranean. Tyr. I, I don't know. Let's call it Tyr, which is in modern-day Lebanon. Yeah. And that was the center of Phoenician civilization. Really? So, the Phoenicians... So, they're, were they Abrahamic? That's a great question. I don't think so. I don't think, no, they weren't people of the book. They had their own system of gods that were, was very much pagan. 
Interesting, because they were so close. They were super close, and that's an interesting comment. Too. It's not something that had occurred to me, but you're absolutely right, because they're sort of around the time of King David. So they were there with the Philistines, the Israelites. They were. That's pretty crazy. It is crazy, and yet none of that penetrated. They maintained their own kind of very traditional uh, pagan uh, uh, kind of pantheon of gods. So that's the story of, that's sort of just the background on Carthage. Carthage was a Phoenician colony. It was established sometime, let's say, before Rome, but was much more robust and powerful than Rome was, certainly at the time of Rome's founding, 700 or so BC. Uh, But they had a lot in common, Matteo. They were very organized societies, right? Yeah. Carthage. They had senates. They had a senate. Uh, they had uh, cultivated the arts and sciences similar to Rome and, and similar in some ways to Greece. And it was also a martial culture in the same way that Rome was a martial culture. So they valued valor yeah. and conquest. Victory. And victory. So... They also had a spectacular city, by the way, Mateo. So when, when we do do our podcast, if we do our podcast on ancient engineering, we will spend time on the city of Carthage because it was a truly remarkable place. And there were some pieces of the city that were marvels of the ancient world. Really? Like their military oh, the, harbor. The, yeah, the harbor. It was like the largest in the ancient world, right? It was the largest in the ancient world, and it had... A, a design where it was like a circle, right? And exactly right. It's still around now, right? Like, there's, you see, like, the ruins of it, right? You can see the ruins of the circle. Obviously, the harbor, the, the, the docks themselves aren't there, but it permitted them to la- rapidly launch ships into the sea in a very concentrated area because the kind of this round harbor had the ability to kind of turn, and it was almost like a, a magazine and a pistol, but it was firing out yeah. ancient ships into the sea. That's cool. Absolutely mind-blowing. Cool. So the point is that Carthage was more powerful than Rome. The Carthaginians, the Phoenicians, were masters of the sea. The Romans were not. The Romans were masters of land. That was Their strength was land-based armies. Not so with Carthage. With Carthage, it was all about their trading empire and their mastery of the seas with very well-trained uh, a very well-trained navy that's going to come into play shortly in this story. So if anybody wants to take a peek at our website, www.lostromanheroes.com, there is a great map uh, which shows exactly what the territory of Carthage looked like versus the territory of Rome at the onset of the First Punic War. And, Matteo, I'm going to show this to you, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it because I don't want to get constructive criticism on how much time I spend talking about a map. I love but, maps. M- Mateo, maybe you want to describe that map a little bit as we enter into the eve of battle. Absolutely. So, uh, by, at this point in time, Rome had nearly completely conquered the Italian peninsula. Uh, they had, obviously, all of the south, and I think they went as far north as almost Modena. Yep. Almost there, they're around like ancient Arentium and uh, Tarentium, right? 
Wow. Yes, I, I think they went up to the River Po. That was yeah. the the end of their like just up to Cisalpine Gaul. Yeah. Um, and then Carthage, they had completely conquered the coast from Morocco, from Gibraltar, all the way down to Leptis Magna. So almost all of the northwestern African coastline. They had a lot of territories in Iberia, obviously Gibraltar and a lot of southern Spain, uh, like Malaga and Marbella and stuff like that. Uh, they, they had territories on every island in you know, western Mediterranean, Sardinia, Corsica, the Be- Belieric Islands, I don't know how to say that, mm-hmm. to be honest. And they had most of, of Sicily. And there is the key. That's the flashpoint. That's yeah. where this war begins. Yeah, I actually, I love this story. So, there were three wars between Rome and Carthage called the Punic Wars. The first, second, and third. The first Punic War lasted from 264 to 241, and it was fought principally in Sicily. So, the Romans, as Matteo just described, had conquered most of the Italian peninsula, and it was natural that they would want to continue expanding south. And they started to establish the first tentative footholds in Sicily, and the first important one was at a place called Messina. And this entire area was controlled by Carthage, as you said. Except for the southern city-state of Syracuse. Except for Syracuse, that we talked about in our last episode, and you and I have had the privilege of visiting. And the Romans forced Syracuse to join them, and they attacked the headquarters of Carthage at what today is called Agrigento, but then was called Akragas, Akragas, which sounds like a Klingon word. Sounds like something from Star Wars. So the Romans won that first battle. And they very rapidly built a navy. Mateo, until that time, the Romans didn't have a navy. Yeah. You know, actually, they didn't didn't just force Syracuse to join them. I think I remember uh, the story was, and with Masana as well, the story was that there was a group of mercenaries that they were fighting against Carthage, they were fighting against Masana, I'm not sure, and then they, they looked for refuge and the city of Syracuse let them in, but then they basically just took over the city. So the, I don't know, the king or whatever, the council of Syracuse, they sent a letter over to the consuls in Rome asking for their aid, and that's basically how they just took over Masana and Syracuse. Well, that's, that's brilliant. That's not something that I covered in my research or uncovered in my research. Really? No, I didn't. Huh. Maybe I didn't do enough research. You should watch. You should watch some uh, oversimplified. Oversimplified? Yeah, they're a friend of. We're a friend of that channel. Okay, shout out to oversimplified. This is something that you've been watching for years. It's on YouTube, right? Yeah. Oversimplified history. Yeah, they so it's the best. All right. Yeah. Will you share with me the the episode on? I will. This it's, it's on the first Punic War and on Regulus actually. That's awesome. So if you're listening to this. And you like this episode, it's a worthwhile watch. Let's, let's add it to our website so people can find it, a link to it yeah, on our website. We will. All right. So, moving on. The Romans built a navy. They had captured a ship from Carthage. They knew nothing about seafaring, and they built their own ships based on this Carthaginian design. And now we move into the second battle of this war, 
which was the Battle of Cape Ecnomus in southern Sicily. And here comes Regulus into our story. So, so who was this guy Regulus? Again, unfortunately, we don't know a lot about him. Although here's something interesting about that. We've been covering commanders, generals, heroes that all came from the patrician class, right? Mm -hmm. Regulus was not. Really? Regulus was a pleb. And he was on top of the power scheme. He was. The power pyramid. He was a pleb. And this was, remember, the, the days of L.J. Brutus when the concept or the position of the consul was first established, only patricians could be consuls. Right. And then at some point in the last hundred years, plebs were also allowed to be consuls, and that was something that our hero from last episode, Corvus, was pushing for. So we think that Regulus was born somewhere around 300 BC. We don't know for sure. But if that's the case, he's more or less 50 years old or so, 45 years old at the time of the first battle in Sicily. And to put that into perspective, by the way, Corvus, last episode's hero, had just defeated the Etruscans in his last battle of his life at the age of 70 by stepping onto the field and the Etruscans ran away. That's more or less when Regulus was born. Okay. Okay? So Regulus, we know nothing about his childhood. He steps into history in 267 B.C., Right, so he's around 33 years old at that point, and he was elected consul. That's three years before the Punic War starts. And he did some campaigning as consul with, uh, against the Salentini. He captured the city of Brundisium, which is modern Brindisi, uh, for Rome. He returned to the city, and at the age of 33, he received his first triumph uh, as consul, thanks to this uh, success in Brindisi. And then in 264, three years later, war breaks out against Carthage. Yeah. I think what people don't really understand, or what people should understand, is that at this time in Roman history, since it's consuls one year. Yes. You, know, you have one year. So whoever the consul is, they have one thing in mind, which is go to war and win. Get as much glory as possible. Yes. Because they have one year to get as much, as much glory as possible. And that's what everyone was trying to do. I love that. You're, thank you for putting that into context. you got one year to make a mark on the world because yeah. you don't know if you're going to have another shot at it. Yep. And so he did make a mark in his first consulship. And then in 256, Matteo, one of the two consuls, a guy by the name of Quintus Cadicius, died in office, and Regulus was elected the suffect consul, sort of the temporary or stand-in yeah, consul. Interim. Interim. That's a better word. <laughs> Yeah, along with the other consul, Lucius Manlius. And Damn. these two, Manlius. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It is a pretty awesome name. Pretty more awesome than Regulus. It is? Well, I kind of like Regulus. Manlius. But yeah, Manlius is, is very, it's very, for lack of a better word, manly. manly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's very manly. So Lucius Manlius and Regulus took control of the new Roman fleet. Imagine, Matteo. Brand new. Just built in the last six months. Yep. Who is sailing that fleet? Professional sailors? Nope. Probably not. Is, are the boats professional? Probably, Probably not. Probably not. Because they knew Jack. They nothing. didn't know anything. And so they had this captured or shipwrecked Quiet. Carthaginian ship. Yep. And they just copied it. They copied it, but they didn't copy it perfectly. This is like 
kind of a handbag that you buy on the streets in... Oh, no, yeah, Fuji. Uh, a Fuji get handbag on the streets in Florence. Fake Rolex on like the coast of Brazil, like some Brazilian beach in Rio. Exactly right. Rolex. Exactly. Get it while it's hot. So the Roman ships looked like the Carthaginian ships, but they, but they were not. a little bigger because they weren't quite as sophisticated and refined. Mm -hmm. And as you said, the Roman seamen were... They yeah. had no idea what they were doing. Terrible. These were guys that just got plucked out of the infantry, probably, and stuck on ships and said, row. You know, that's probably what ruined Carthage, by the way, too. The fact that they allowed one of their ships to get captured. Because before that, it was like a freaking marvel. Like, you'd look at these Carthaginian ships, and it'd be like a Bugatti. Yeah. Like, you didn't know what was in there. Like, but Yeah. That's, that's true, because the Carthaginians, they were Phoenicians. They had been refining this design for centuries yeah. upon centuries upon centuries. And all of a sudden, the Romans got it. They copied it. It wasn't perfect, but it wasn't so bad. And so that brings us, Mateo, to the battle at Cape Ecnomus. Now, we're talking about the Mediterranean Sea. The Romans, at this point, called the Mediterranean Mare Magnum, the Great Sea. The Phoenicians called it Hayam Hagadol. It also meant the Great Sea. And to some extent, this conflict was inevitable. And to some extent, perhaps, it was inevitable that these two great powers should meet in Sicily. It was on the very edge of Roman and Carthaginian control. You want to hear something crazy? Yeah. Palermo, so the capital of Sicily, is only 360 kilometers from Carthage, which is modern-day Tunis. Really? But it's 1,000 kilometers away from Rome. So to some extent, it was even more the Carthaginians' backyard than it was the Romans' backyard. Yeah. The battle that would ensue, Matteo, when these two forces met, would be the largest naval battle in history. Let that wow. sink in for a second. The to Car this day? To this day. Wow. The Carthaginian forces were commanded by two generals, Hanno and Hamilcar, and it consisted Ooh, of... Never heard of those guys. They will return. 150,000 crew and marines and 350 ships. 150,000 crew and marines. Ridiculous. And the Roman forces, which, as we said, were commanded by Lucius Manlius Volso Longus, that's quite the name, and Marcus Attilius Regulus, our hero, or candidate for hero, consisted of 140,000 crew and marines and 330 ships. So, on paper, they were relatively equally matched. Yeah. In terms of number, but they really were not. But they really were not in terms of quality. So the Romans sailed from Ostia onto Sicily. They were planning on going all the way to Carthage. So the original intent was for the two consuls to take this brand spanking new uh, sexy navy, navy, sexy navy, and make a direct attack on Carthage. Because that's something they probably thought they'd be able to do. Ah, for sure. And as you said, these guys were all about, it was a kamikaze. Let's yeah. go for it. There was no trepidation here. But instead... The Carthaginians learned of the Romans' approach, and they sent their entire fleet out to meet the Romans, which they did off of the southern coast of Sicily. And uh, I don't know if I... I did not put a map pointing to the exact spot of this battle, Matteo, mm -hmm. but if you look at the third image on our website for this episode 8, you'll see right where it says Sicily, underneath the island of Sicily, that's more or less where the two forces met. Now... Both of these, as we said, both of these powers were using the same more or less technology, and that boat was called not the trireme, which you and I have discussed in the past, Quireme. but the quinquireme. Oh. 
and the quinquirim meant five oars. So in every, there were, on each of these ships, you had 280 oarsmen, 20 Jeez. officers, plus 120 marines, 120 soldiers, and you had five oarsmen in a line, which means on the very bottom, you had one, and then you had a, two on top of him to either side. So the ships were the same. The Roman ship was inferior, but this might blow your mind. Might, unless you know about it, which oftentimes you do. The Romans had a little tiny technological advantage and innovation. You knew. I do. What was it called? The name, I don't know, but I can tell you what it is. Tell me what it is. It's like a fish hook almost. Yes. On a big ladder that they drop on the Carthaginian ship. Yes, exactly. And they rain down the fire on them. That's exactly right. And it was called the Corvus. And as Mateo said, mm. it was a bridge four feet wide, 36 feet long, that the Ro- with a massive spike on the bottom. And so when the ship was sailing, this would be hauled up. But in battle, the Romans had the ability to drop the bridge onto an enemy ship. It would puncture the, the enemy ship and deck. hold it in place, the deck. Thank you. And it would allow Roman soldiers to pour across the bridge onto the enemy ship. And they were probably better. The soldiers, they had probably better infantry than the Carthaginians. Without a doubt. Yeah. They had a much higher quality infantry than the Carthaginians because the Carthaginians were used to fighting by sea. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, the Romans came up with this little technological advantage that could turn a sea battle into a type of land battle. Yeah. So that's where we are on the eve of the battle. Let's jump into the battle. On the day of the battle, knowing that they were about to engage the Romans, the Carthaginian generals Hanno and Hamilcar addressed their troops, and this is what they said, according to Polybius. They pointed out to them that in the event of victory in the battle, they would be fighting afterwards for Sicily. But if defeated, they would have to fight for their own country and their homes, and bade them to take this to heart. When all readily did as they were ordered, they set to sea in a confident and menacing spirit. Sheesh. Now, we have these two fleets approaching each other. We do. And they were set up in a very different way, Mateo. The Romans, under Regulus, set up their fleet in a wedge-shaped formation, so like the point of a spear. Yeah. And the Carthaginians, under Hanno and Hamilcar, arranged their fleet in a long line. Mm-hmm. So the Romans, you get the sense that they were just gung-ho. Oh, yeah. They were ready for this I bet thing. they were. Attack was the word of the day. And they attacked. And they pierced the Carthaginian line. But similar to what we're going to see in the next episode with Hannibal, this was a ruse. This was exactly what the Carthaginians wanted the Romans to do. Mm-hmm. Because as the Romans pierced the line, the Carthaginian center fell back and allowed the Romans to enter deeper and deeper and deeper into Carthaginian, uh, the Carthaginian fleet until, at a certain point, the Romans realized that they were surrounded. Yeah, and if, if the hull of the Roman ship is not facing the boat that they wanted to puncture, then they wouldn't be able to grab it. So it was kind of, the corvus was kind of useless like when you were on someone's, on their flanks. The, the corvus... starboard and the... And the port side. That's absolutely the case. And the Carthaginians 
sent out their left and right flanks and came around to the back of the Roman fleet and started attacking the back. In the meantime, the center, which was commanded by Hamilcar, turned around once they realized that the Romans were in pursuit and they had them where they wanted them and attacked the Romans head on. So it was completely disorganized, the Roman point was. Chaos. And it appeared that Carthage had the upper hand, but now, Mateo, they were facing each other toe-to-toe, head-to-head. And as you said, now they could deploy the Corvus, which they did. So Regulus ordered that the Corvus, Corvuses on the ships be deployed, and they dropped them onto the, uh, the enemy ships, locked them into place, and now that allowed the Roman legionaries to swarm across the Corvus onto the enemy ships. You said it. Carthage had much better sailors, but Rome had much better soldiers. And now the sea battle turned into a land battle, and it was not long, Matteo, before Rome won a resounding victory over the Carthaginians under Regulus's leadership. So after a very long day of fighting, the Carthaginians were decisively defeated. They lost 30 ships. 30 ships were sunk. 64 were captured. Which is not that bad of a number. It doesn't sound Out like that crazy. It's true. It doesn't sound like but that crazy a number. The money lost. Jesus. Not just the money, but they lost an estimated thirty to forty thousand men. Oh yeah. The Roman casualties were around ten thousand. So That's tragic. It was a, a decisive victory for the Romans, and from then on, Matteo, Rome would be the dominant Mediterranean power. Not to say that Carthage is done, because we know they're not. Yeah. Because this is war number one. There's a two and a three to cover. But this was a devastating blow. The Romans were not sailors, and they won the most important sea battle in history and definitively turned the tide of this power struggle in the Mediterranean. And from then on, I love this part. This kind of like makes that, gives me chills. Mare Magnum was no longer Mare Magnum. What was it? Mare Romana? Mare Nostrum. Our? Yes. It ceased to be the Great Sea, and it became our sea. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty bold. That is pretty bold. Yeah, it's like goosebumps. Yeah, it is. It's goosebumps stuff. It's like a Julius Caesar kind of quote. Like it it absolutely kind is. Of quote. Most definitely. It's up there. All right. So Regulus was a hero, as was his co-consul. We haven't mentioned him much. His co-consul was Volso. Volso returned to Rome at this point, Matteo, and celebrated a triumph. Why didn't Regulus go with him? Well, Regulus stayed in Sicily. He repaired the Roman fleet, and he was prorogued. I didn't know what this meant. I had to look it up. Prorogued meant consuls are elected for one year. When you're prorogued, it means for extraordinary circumstances, your term is extended. Right. And so he got an extension of his consular powers, and in 256, Matteo, he sailed for Carthage. He landed at Cape Bon, which in many episodes, we're going to be at Cape Bon again because that's precisely where Belisarius landed when he sailed to retake Carthage from the Vandals. And he laid seat to a port there in Cape Bon called Aspis, and he captured Aspis. Then he took his men on land and he fought against the forces of Carthage at a place called Addis. I remember he was doing very well, actually. He was doing very well, yeah. indeed. 
and he won a resounding victory against Carthage at Addis, and then he captured the city of Tunis, which was a separate city from Carthage, though at this time, the modern city of Tunis completely encompasses ancient Carthage. And he entered into negotiations with Carthage. So Carthage said, okay, yeah, no mas. We're done. It's not no, good for business. No mas. And that's all they cared about. Yeah. It's, you're right. They were. They wanted to keep on. Talk about that. Why is, it not, why is that important to them? Well, because everybody in power at this time uh, was a merchant. Everybody in the Senate, in the ancient sacred Senate or whatever yes. of Carthage were all merchants and having to deploy their fleet and all of their manpower and all their sailors into a fight with Rome when they could just be going on to what they usually do, which is seafarer, sea travel, merchanting things. A little bit like Venice, isn't it? Yeah, just like Venice. They're actually, a, I mean, I was going to say like a greater than what Venice ever was, but like they're yeah. probably, they walk so that Venice could run. Yes. Well, I love the way you just described that. And I had never thought about that connection before, but you're right. They are a very mercantile society, and it's all about the Completely. money. It's all about trade. Yeah. We'll fight wars if we have to in order to facilitate. Yeah. We just didn't want to let go of their grip of, yeah. the, trade, of the Mediterranean trade routes. So at, at this point, I think you're right. I think Carthage decided that it simply wasn't worth it. Like, they did a cost-benefit yeah. analysis and said, Not good. better to have peace right now with yeah. Rome. Oh, yeah. And so they entered into negotiations but legend says that Regulus, he negotiated, but he was negotiating for keeps. He was asking for very harsh terms. Yeah, I think, he, wasn't he asking for the city of Carthage? Some say that he was asking for the full surrender of Carthage. Others say that he was simply asking for Carthage to give up their claim on Sicily. Whatever it was, it was something that Carthage wasn't willing to do. And at the same time, Carthage had a trick up their sleeve. They were waiting for reinforcements from Sparta, Monteo, mm. under a king of Sparta called Santhippus. San Xanthippus. Santhippus. Xanthippus. Xanthippus. He was set a guy sending twelve thousand infantry, four thousand cavalry, and a hundred war elephants to Carthage. They were mercenaries, they were being yeah. paid, but to fight against the Romans and they arrived. And so Carthage made another cost-benefit analysis and said, better to fight than to submit to Regulus's terms. You want to know something interesting? What's that? I'm not, I might be confusing this, but I'm pretty sure that the, originally, the mercenaries, or maybe not these, but others, um, were uh, allied to Regulus, and they just didn't, didn't get along, so they switched sides. That, I don't know. You might well be right. I'm not certain. Hey, don't take my word for it. <laughs> okay. But I'm pretty sure that's what it said in the oversimplified video. Okay. So. Well, I'm going to watch the over... I wish I knew about the oversimplified yeah, history before video this. before this. But let's watch it together afterwards. All right, let's do it. In the meantime, all I know is that the Spartan mercenaries did wind up on the side of Carthage, and the Romans were defeated, and Regulus was captured. I will say, there are some histories that say that Regulus wasn't captured. He was killed here. But we're going to go yeah. with the story of Regulus being captured. False. Right. Because that's the story that later Romans believed. It was that Regulus had been captured and something very important comes next. And this is what I know you've been waiting for for a long time. So let's get into it. After the Romans were destroyed, the Roman fleet sailed home. But it was completely destroyed by a storm, Monteo, yeah. yeah. in the 254. Whole thing was wiped out. The whole, this whole brand new toy. Yeah. 
of the Romans and was wiped out. And they built out. a whole new one, and you know what happened to that one? Yeah. The same exact thing. It got completely wiped out by a storm. I didn't know it was wiped out a second time. Yeah, it was like three times or something like that. I think they had to build a fleet three times. And I, I think that, by the way, what you just said gets to the heart of how is it that the Romans were able to triumph over the Carthaginians? And I think a lot of it has to They're do with machine. demographics. Yeah. They had they could replace men. They had tremendous resources, and they were willing to do whatever it took. And Carthage had simply had more limited resources, and it got to the point where well. We won't tip our hats. We'll see what point it gets to. So this was 254 when Regulus was captured. This war would drag on for another six years until 248. Eventually, Rome would triumph in the First Punic War. And there was a guy in charge of the Carthaginian forces at this time, Matteo, and his name was Hamilcar Barca. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. And you did not know, Matteo, or did you, that he was father of a guy named Hannibal. And Hasdrubal. And Hasdrubal. And? There was another one. Hanno? I always forget his name. I, I think it's Hanno. I think it's Hanno, Hanno as well. Yeah. And those boys that grew up in the house of Hamilcar Barca would be, would, were, would be taught, would hear every day from their father how the Romans wronged us. Yeah. They would grow up with poison in their veins for Rome. Yep. And they made like blood oaths when they were a kid that they would destroy Rome. And that will take us to the Second Punic War, but that's for the next episode. In the meantime... Rome did triumph in the First Punic War, in great part due to Regulus's extraordinary efforts. And in great part to a lot of uh, this Carthaginian culture too, which was every time a general loses a battle, yeah, off with his head. So they were left with no generals. Yeah. They were leaderless. They were, they were leaderless, they were, resources were tapped out, and business was suffering. And so eventually Carthage decided to accept a peace. Rome imposed very harsh terms. Both states were exhausted. But somewhere along the way, Matteo, there is a legend. And the legend says that before the end of the war, Regulus, who was captured by Carthage, was sent to Rome as an ambassador to negotiate the peace between Carthage and Rome. And Regulus stood in front of the sedent. Remember, this was a consul. This was a hero of the Republic. And he stood in front of the Senate and said, these are the terms that Carthage is demanding. And what did he say? Don't take them. Don't take them, my brothers. Don't bend the knee. Incredible, no? Yep. That is a second chill-inducing moment on this podcast for me. And there's going to be a third one, too. And so he said, do not accept these terms my fellow Romans. They're not worthy of you. And then he did the thing that he's immortalized for. That he has been immortalized for. Instead of, like any sane human, staying at Rome after basically being let go, he kept his promise and he returned to Carthage where he was probably tortured and died as a prisoner. But he kept his promise. He could have stayed in Rome. They couldn't have made him come back. He was safe behind the walls of the city with friends and family. And he decided to return. And as Augustine of Hippo said, and Cicero as well, the Carthaginians received him back in the city, in Carthage. They shut him up in a narrow box in which he was compelled to stand 
and in which finely sharpened nails were fixed all around him so that he could not lean upon any part of it without intense pain. And he died as a prisoner of Carthage. And forever being a patron saint of Roman virtue. And he passed into legend. And that is the story of Regulus. Jeez. So cool. I, I hope we've I hope we I hope we've done him right I hope, in the recounting. Yeah. We've been clapping at the end of these stories. I feel like Regulus deserves a moment of silence. Yeah. Except that or doesn't work a, well in a podcast. Maybe even a salute. <laughs> a salute. I could not agree with you more. Regulus, we salute you. You were a truly remarkable hero. Yeah. So and a pleb, sharp guy. Imagine and what he could have accomplished. Pleb. Imagine. Like, I don't doubt if he just stayed in Rome, he could have accomplished crazy things. You know. Yeah. If he had just said, "All right, I'm just gonna not hold hold on to my word." Yes. He could have been consul again. Could have taken the fight back to Carthage. Who knows? But he he stuck true to his word, which I don't think anybody would have done at this time. And you made an interesting comment, which was, let's not forget that he was a pleb. Mm -hmm. To have accomplished what he did from a plebeian background without the privileges of the patrician class Ridiculous. is truly And it shows. He's, stunning. It shows that as a person, he was, he was better than them. Yes. His virtue is, his, he was a better man. Yes. Because all those, all those um, patrician senators, they... They would have never went back. Yeah, who amongst them would have said, no way. I could either A, Screw that. sleep in my comfy bed tonight and wake up and have a nice bowl of cereal and or, be surrounded by the privileges of my class, or... I could go back and die. Or I could go back, <laughs> I could keep my word, go back and die. A promise is a promise, no yeah. way. Damn. You are your deeds, and that's what makes Regulus so truly remarkable. Yep. And truly that, a man. Truly a man. And that is his story. And now it's time to rank you, Regulus. So, Mateo, first, how big was Regulus's military success on a scale of 0 to 10? You can't put a 10 because he did get defeated. Although... He did? He wouldn't... He wasn't gonna, it's not... No one could have won that battle. No one was going to win the battle. He was... I fighting. Yeah, I don't think he was fighting on an open field. So, from what I recall, from when I did my own research on the battle, yes, let's talk about it. Oversimplified view. Yep, his original positioning was on a hill. Yes, and then he abandoned the hill and went into the flat terrain. And that's where he got into trouble, right? Yep. Because the Carthaginians had war elephants and cavalry, and cavalry, and, and the the war elephants were no good in the hills. But once right. he descended to a plain. Yeah, but he did win the biggest and one of the most significant naval battles in history. That he did, without a remarkable. doubt. And he did capture Tunis. And until the final battle, he had been storming up Carthaginian territory. He was on this. He was yes. on the gates of Carthage. He was about to uh, yes capitulate them. Yes, he was. So he did really freaking good. Yes, he did. The last battle he couldn't have won. It wouldn't have been possible if he had stayed in the high ground. Even if. He was outnumbered. I don't know who who's to say, but I don't I don't really remember why he did abandon the high ground. I think 
I think I, I think some unit. I think there were forward. I think there were two separate battles. I think there were two separate. I think he fought an initial battle in which he was victorious, and the second battle, I, I I get the sense that there was no alternative but to enter the flats yeah. in order to approach I think, Carthage. I think what happened was that I don't know some unit must have rushed forward and then he couldn't abandon them, so he had to move the whole army down. I don't remember to be honest, but. We should watch the over, oversimplified video. It explains. Let, we will watch that together. But in the meantime, we need to rank him. So, yeah. military. He's not a 10. He can't be a 10. How would you rank him? Look, just because... It's like, it's like this. Just because Napoleon lost in Moscow and got yes. pushed back yes. doesn't mean that he wasn't freaking crazy. Yes. You, are you going to rank Napoleon like a 10? Probably. Is... is now, is Regulus of Napoleon? No. But I'm going to give him like a 9. He did crazy. He did, defeated the most premier naval power in the world in the biggest battle and okay. most important battle you're, in history. You're going for a 9, and I think that I'm going to go for an 8. And I'm going to tell you why I'm going for 8. I don't want you to change your 9. I'm not going to. But we have no stories of his personal valor on the battlefield. And for me... I liked. I would like to see some some personal. I know he was there. I know he's commanding troops. He must have done those things, but we know nothing about it. Right. And so I'm going to give him an eight, which is still an extremely good score. How about his political success? I'm going to say we don't know a lot about. All right. What, 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 he what, did what in do politics. we know? He apparently he fumbled the negotiations with Carthage. For the peace. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he had a bit of a tin ear. He pushed for but, too much. Well, yeah, we don't really know. But all we know is that the, uh, he might have asked for too much. They broke down. Yeah. But politi- politically, his image, success. I mean, he got immortalized. Ah, um, I agree. But I think that's more in the world of impact. I think it's less right. in the world of politics. So I guess in the world of politics, he... If, if five is average, is he average? But was at he the same time, he, did, he, get, he got his consulship extended. That's so true. He must have been pretty good. He must have been. And he rose from the ranks from a pleb to the top of the political world. So he That's must have had friends. Also a very People good point. People must have loved him. Without a doubt. So Those are valid points. So he's I'm not average. Him, I'm going to give him an, an eight. You're going to give him an eight. Okay. He Mate- must because he, he must have been pretty freaking Mateo's going successful eight. in the world of Rome. I'm going seven. All right. Now, coolness. Ten. Yes. I love it. I'm with <laughs> Maybe you. I'm a biased. I no, like no, no. I no, no, no. I, uh, you're going to get no argument from me here. There are just too many instances of that are just epic, cinematic, the stuff of legend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perhaps more than, well, maybe we'll come across cooler. But for me, it's top of the, top of the spectrum. For sure. Standing in front of the Roman Senate and saying, now it's time for me to return. Don't bend the knee. That's like some Jedi kind of stuff. It is Jedi kind of stuff. He is Jedi. You are yeah, right. Like Regulus the Jedi. He's like Qui-Gon Jinn. He is like Qui-Gon Jinn. Oh, it's so cool. Oh, I wonder if he had the ponytail too. Yeah, Liam Neeson should act him if they ever make a movie on Regulus. <laughs> That's a great idea. Maybe we can make the movie on Regulus. Yeah. All right. Let, put, that, put that down on the list for next project. Yeah. What was Matteo now moving on to the next category? His impact. I think a ten as well on Rome, because I mean, I doubt he was just a bedtime story for kids on why they shouldn't lie. I mean, he became a patron saint of Roman virtue, which yes. is something that they themselves regarded very highly. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes, I do. So they they always like talking about how they 
were the most premier civilized society and everyone like no one could touch them basically he's a big part of why roman hubris is what it was hmm. you know um on top of that impact he took the fight i mean like we said we don't know much about what he actually did on the field of battle but we just see his resume yes he was he he did things that nobody in that time would have thought was possible beat the carthaginians in a major a naval battle crazy push onto the gates of Carthage, he almost capitulated them. Crazy. I mean, Carthage is the most premier power in the Mediterranean. So. So you're going for a 10. and I think so. I, I So I struggle with two things. One is... Yeah, we grade inflate sometimes. I we guess. do grade inflate. That's, that's an issue that we have. Okay, okay, then. I, I think that grades will be kind of tailing down as we move... I think so, too. Into... In my mind, though... Yeah. His impact, I think... It's an intent... It, if yeah. he had beat Carthage and survived... Yes. Would his impact have been as grand? No. Because what's he known for? He goes down no. in history for being the guy that kept yes. his word and went back. That's exactly and right. And said that don't bend your knee. That is true. So I'm saying, like, maybe his impact... Like, sure, if he had captured Carthage, you'd think his impact would be higher. But I think being a martyr, how he was... Yes. Is why his impact is high for me. Uh, I completely understand so your point. Gonna put a nine, I'm going to put a nine... Point five. Okay, my my. I think about impact in two ways: a tangible impact, and an intangible impact. As intangible is exceptionally high. Is tangible impact is he wasn't solid. the guy that it is very solid, but he's not the guy that won the first Punic War, Mm-mm. and uh, it, had he lost the naval battle at Ecnomum, who knows what might have happened? I agree with you, and we'll talk about alternate history in a second. But I'm going to grade him a little bit lower, Mateo, uh, because I, at the end of the day, he's not the yeah. person that brought this war I to its I guess I'm conclusion. a little biased, but I think his story... Oh, I, I, his, I love him as well, and I understand why you're biased, because his, he is so cool. Yeah. In my mind, though, his story isn't about the Punic War. It's about becoming a martyr. Like, it's about... Hmm. That. So that's why I think. Okay. That's why I rank his impact a little higher. Fair enough. Just because I, I don't want to f- like focusing. Like yeah, at the end of the day, he died. You know, he lost. Hmm. But I don't think that's what made him. Like I don't think his like success during the war is what made him who he is. You know what I mean? I do understand what you're saying. It's about virtue. Then he's just a, he's just yeah. Regulus is about virtue. It's not about his feats in the field of battle. So without that, without that, he's just another guy that was winning and then lost. Yes, like, just like every okay. other guy in history that lost. That's a great point. I was gonna grade him like a seven and a half, but I'm I'm upping my score because you just convinced me. I'm gonna go to an eight and a half instead. Uh, that puts Regulus Mateo at an eighty-eight percent, and that is just ahead of. Cincinnatus, who and, is an 86%. And just under Corvus. Does that feel right to you? And just under Corvus. That feels right. But like, I do think, like, numerically, I think he's a little under Corvus and un, and a little over Cincinnatus. But I think for the, the conversation of does he belong as a hero or not, I think he's bigger than both of them. Well, he is, without a doubt, the, the number one candidate in, right now, top he is, first ballot. He is into the Hall of Heroes. Regulus, congratulations. Boy, do you deserve it. Yeah, one of my personal favorites. We give him a clap? Yeah. For sure. Welcome to the Hall of Heroes, Regulus. 
And that brings us, Mateo, to our last part, which is the alternate history. What would have happened had Regulus not existed? This is one of the, I think this is the first time we get an alternate history where without the character, maybe the, the difference, it would have been a huge difference, you know? Yes. It wouldn't have been. I think without Regulus, there's always someone else that could fill the shoes, you know? Like, but like we said, we don't really know what he did on the field of battle. True. So his story is not about that. There could have been someone that maybe would have been more successful than him. Maybe someone was less. Like we, we can only speculate. Um, without Regulus, not a lot changes, you know. But it's not about that for me. Like that's not why I don't think he's a hero. But yeah, he is a hero in your mind principally because of his embodiment of a virtue. Yeah, of a, a premier, honor. a premier human. Like yeah, top specimen yes you know hmm. like he's like uh what's it called the model man yes you know and roman hubris is something that ended up being their downfall in the western roman empire but roman hubris is super important you know historically and he's a big part of that well that's very interesting you're right so the alternative history is probably it to some extent there is none but it's also impossible for us to say if right. the Romans did not have the story, the model, the example of Regulus to look to and to strive for and live up to, how yeah. their tale might have been different. But a fascinating life. For sure. And that brings us, Mateo, to our finale. So we'd like to, as we wrap up, thank everyone, first and foremost, that have left us feedback and encourage everybody that's listening and we are honored to see that your numbers are growing every day. It's incredible. Please leave us feedback, especially on iTunes. It's very valuable because the more feedback we get, and honest feedback, it doesn't need to be a five-star review. Tell us what you think. And the more reviews that we get, the better it makes our podcast, but it, and the more our podcast shows up in search results. And that's so very important. So right. please... Even if it's just a few words, leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for that. We'd really appreciate it. Mateo, we have new countries. And I was so pumped up when I saw this. We have Iceland, Mateo. We have a listener in Iceland. That is so cool. We uh, also got... We have a Viking in Iceland. We have listeners in the Netherlands now. And we have listeners in Macedonia. And we are honored... Truly, that you guys are paying attention and hopefully finding something of interest in what it is we're doing here. We're working hard to make certain that we continue to get better. Um, I would like to, Mateo, we, we always talk about at least one review. I would like to read a review in particular. Uh, I would like you to read it, actually. And this one is by a listener called Rod... 9869 and I'm going to show you Mateo the review and I would like you to please read it it is let's see right here five stars wait I didn't read this last time no oh okay five stars can't wait for the next episode has the makings of a great podcast the son's youthful enthusiasm blends seamlessly with the father's season wisdom creating a unique blend of perspectives that keeps the content engaging and relatable. Arv is an enthralling story, journey, 
Jeez. Through the annals of Roman history. Thank you, Rod9869. Not certain about uh, seasoned wisdom, but we're definitely having fun, and hopefully that comes across. And that is just about it. I, you know what? I wanted to say one more thing. We got inspired to do this as a result of our shared love for ancient Rome, Roman history, and especially the heroes that fell through the cracks. But we also, as Mateo said, watch YouTube series on ancient history, like the one that Mateo mentioned. What is it? Simplified? Oversimplified History. Oversimplified History, which is superb. Would highly recommend it. And also by podcast. There are two in particular that I love, and I would like to give a shout-out to. One is Byzantium. Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, History of Byzantium, which is extremely good for those that are interested in the history of the Eastern Roman Empire. Thank you, Robin, for a superb series. And uh, as well, Totalis Rankium, Roman Emperors. Thank you, Robin, Jamie. They have a very similar format, which we are copying uh, with deep gratitude because they have a fantastic ranking format they rank every Roman emperor from Augustus to Constantine the uh, 11th and would highly recommend a listen if anybody's interested. And uh, one more personal favorite of mine, which is Kings and Generals on YouTube. They pump out like mini docuseries almost, like little documentaries every single day. Super high quality. Every on, day? Every day. Their upload schedule is nuts, basically. Like two or three times a week almost. Almost every other day. Um on all kinds of things from Macedonian and ancient Greek history, ancient Japanese, Chinese, modern day, um, all things war and uh, with kings and generals alike. So check them out as well because they're super cool. That is super cool. You've and never... they, they get really into detail about battles and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's awesome. I've yeah. never seen that one before. I'm going to check that out as well. You should. So thank you so much, everyone. We're going to be back next week with our next episode which we're actually going to be recording in about an hour because we're going to be traveling next weekend. So we're not going to skip a beat. You'll hear us next week. And next week's episode will be on a man called Quintus Fabius Maximus Verucosus Cunctator. Huh. That's a name. Yeah. Cunctator. Cunctator. El Cucu. <laughs> I think it's going to be a fun one as well. And we're still going to be in the Punic Wars. We'll be moving on to the second Punic War next week. So that is it for now. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. We are profoundly grateful to you. Thank you so much. And tune in next week. Tune in next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.